God is a person who does keep his word, and we only like that God sometimes that keeps his word when it's just the good stuff that happens, according to our definition. We only want God to keep his word when it's the things that can benefit us more in the sense of what we want rather than what we need. And so we like that God. We like that stuff. We like the abundance. We like the lots and the things, the promise that that says that we will, if we do this, we get all this great stuff. God is faithful to His Word. In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches you that God is faithful to His Word in good times and in bad times. There will be times in your life where you need to be disciplined from the Lord. Discipline from God is a good thing because He disciplines those whom He loves. Oftentimes, it's easy to like God's faithfulness to His Word when there are promises of abundance and good things. However, God's faithfulness to His Word when it comes to discipline is just as beneficial. God loves you and He is faithful to keep His Word and to bless you, but also to refine you to look more like Him. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 16 with today's edition of Come Alive. 2 Samuel chapter 16, just so you know that David's paying the price for his bad behavior, and today we're going to see that God helps those who, you know, you've heard the old cliche that God helps those who help themselves, but that's not true at all. That's nowhere in the Bible. But today we're going to see that God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And so the house of David is seeing something happen. They're seeing prophecy come true. You and I are seeing something happen as well, and we're seeing that same prophecy come true. And so we see that God is a person who really does keep his word, the good and the bad. One of the things we tell our children all the time is, hey, you know, we want to make sure you understand that we're honest and that we're truthful parents. And so, you know, Well, when you guys do something good, we want to reward you for the good. But when you do something bad, we also want to keep our word and letting you know that we will discipline you when you do something wrong. And so it's important for us as parents that we make sure that our children see that we keep our word in the good things and in the bad things. And so we see God as a person who does keep his word. And we only like that God sometimes that keeps his word when it's just the good stuff that happens, according to our definition. We only want God to keep his word when it's the things that can benefit us more in the sense of what we want rather than what we need. And so we like that, God. We like that stuff. We like the abundance. We like the lots and the things, the promise that that says that we will, if we do this, we get all this great stuff. But we don't like the God that tends to discipline us because the Bible does tell us he disciplines those whom he loves. So David's now paying the price for his bad behavior towards Bathsheba. And so does this mean that God does not love David with all the stuff that we see him going through? It may even look as though that God has left David, but that's not it at all. God hasn't left David. David now faces the fruit of his folly and is being disciplined, basically, for his deeds. God's still there, 
And you should know that by now, that God is always there in the dark times and in the times of those difficult times. God is always there for you and I. And so it's an opportunity for the molding and the shaping and the training and the transforming of us, of you, when those things happen to us. We can't be discouraged when God rebukes us and because it shows that God cares and loves enough that he wants to correct a deed that wasn't cool. And we, we need to understand that. And you might say, well, yeah, but couldn't he have just said something? Couldn't he have just warned me? And we could say, David, Mark, insert your name there, he did. He, he gave the law. He gave the commandments. If you turn to Hebrews 12 with me real quick, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll look there. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And so we see that here, he says, My son, do not be despised by the chastening. Do not be discouraged by the chastening of what's going on. He says what it is, when we look at that, it's, it's the training. It's the discipline that's going on. He says, you know, it's the discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged in this when you are rebuked by him. You know, m- many people blow it. A lot of us blow it often. And when the scourging and the discipline come, they get so discouraged, they get so bummed out. Well, again, if you look at verse 7 here in Hebrews 12, it says, if you endure the chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And, and this is something we tell our kids all the time. We tell them constantly that, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Do you know your friends from across the street? And they're like, yeah. And we're like, okay, cool. Do you ever see me getting on to them when they do something wrong? No. Why not? And they say, well, because they're not your kids. They don't belong to you. And I was like, who do I love more, you or them? And they're like, us, of course. And it's the same thing when the Lord gets on to us. And so he says, you know what? What son is there a father doesn't chasten that he doesn't love? Verse 8 says, but if you're without chastening of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who correct us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live, for they indeed for a few days chastened us and seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see that it does a couple of things. David is pain and his son is bringing about the pain to his his father's life through the act of treason. And his friend Ahithophel, as we learned a few weeks ago, is, is also doing it, is betraying him. And, and the nation is in an act of rebellion. So God doesn't want him, doesn't want David to think that he has been forsaken, forgotten. He, he says, hey, I don't want you to think that. I don't want you to think that you've been forgotten. So here's what's up. See, God's not going to leave you in the place of rebellion. God's not going to just leave you in rebellion. If he loves you, he's not going to allow you just to rebel. He's not going to allow you just to go out there and act crazy and do crazy things. He's going to 
do something to get your attention, and sometimes it hurts. Now, if you'll turn back with me to 2 Samuel, we'll get back there, and we'll see in, in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, when David was a little past the top of a mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys. And on them, 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. Verse 2 says, And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are, who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord and my king. So here we just read a huge lie. This is a huge lie from this guy's mouth, Ziba. See, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, and if you remember, he's lame. Remember, his, the maid was carrying him and running through the household when David took over the kingdom and she dropped him or fell and probably broke his ankles in a couple of places. And so, you know, back then they didn't have x-ray machines, things like that. So it didn't set right. So Mephibosheth is lame. He can't walk. But here's what is happening here. Ziba's tired of serving Mephibosheth. And so what happens, he brings all this stuff to the king, all this stuff to King David, because he wants to submit and show support. And when David asks about Mephibosheth, Ziba says, well, you know, he's, he's defected. He's gone over to the dark side, so to speak. And so he's a turncoat, David. He's, he's not hanging out with you. You treated him well, but, you, you know, when you gave him all my stuff and you set him in place and you said he'd always have a place at your table, well, he, he's doing this horrible thing to you. And when David asks about him, you know, he finds out that, well, he's a turncoat. He's gone to the dark side. So he's, he's staying back. He, he thinks he's in the running for the king is what David's been told. And, and it makes it sound like he is what we just read. You're like, oh, man, that guy, how could he do that to David? After knowing all that David's done for him. And so, but not at all true. Ziba's a liar. So what does David say, in a sense? He says, hey, you know what? The stuff that was his is now yours. I gave it to Mephibosheth. I'm going to take it back, and I'm going to give it to you. Done deal. And, and so he gives it to this guy, Ziba. And Ziba's like, awesome, man, I got all my stuff back, everything I wanted. Just what a little white lie will do. It sure makes things a lot better. See, when you're in a season of discipline because of disobedience, disobedient deeds or whatever, actions, be careful of what kind of decisions you make. Be careful of the decisions you make. We see this here with David. He's in a, in a place of discipline. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's walking out of his kingdom, out of his throne. He's basically given up his job but because of bad things that have happened to him. God is chastening him because God loves him. But sometimes in the midst of those bad situations, those bad circumstances that we feel that, oh man, how could this be happening? Well, you know, a lot of times we do it by our own hands. And David has done this thing by his own hands. How can this be happening? We need to be very careful of the decisions that we make because as difficult as it is to be disciplined, there are still decisions that need to be made. Every single day you and I make decisions. And some of us may be going through some really bad times and we, we need to make decisions, but we can also, in those bad times, make bad decisions that cause, well, things to be prolonged, more th- bad decisions. And so 
people don't tend to make those decisions when they're in those bad places with a lot of deliberate forethought. They don't think things through, and sometimes they, they don't pray about those decisions. And so the question should always be, is this the right decision? Should I take this next step? And sometimes we might be like, yeah, Mark, but you don't know. I'm in one of these places right now, and I got to make a decision real quick because if I don't make that decision by tomorrow, well, bad things can happen. If I don't do something about that, then I'm going to collect all these NSF fees, and, and all the, it's going to cost me more in the long run than it would if I would have just gone. And I just spoke to somebody that did something crazy like that. Hey, I need, I need to do this. I need to make this. And I was like, no, 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 don't make that decision. That's a bad decision. It's going to cost you more in the long run. And I, Yeah, but I need the money by tomorrow or they're going to come and get this. Well, have you tried calling and talking and letting them know? Is there another way? And no, 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 there's no other way. I don't know any other way. And they make a decision and all of a sudden they find out like, wow. So I, I still lost my car and I owe all this money. And now they come back like, I, I don't see how that happened. Well, didn't the three people you called or the two people you called tell you not to do that? Yeah. So not only did you lose your car, which you would have lost anyway, but you, you went and lost all this extra money that you, you owe now and they're coming after you for this other stuff, right? Yeah. Can you tell me, you know, looking back at it, you see, see now, oh yeah, I see now, but I didn't see then. It's like sometimes we have to make the right decision and it's a tough decision, but we have to make decisions in those times. Sometimes you're so stressed out and frustrated and fatigued, it has set in on you. And you're saying, I'm broken, I've surrendered, and so I'm tired of fighting for this car or this thing. It just keeps breaking, and I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to let the bank take it back. I used to watch somebody that's very near and dear to me in my life do this all the time. They go out and they get a car, and some kind of fear would set in, and, or a bad situation would happen, and they would just let it go. And, and I've watched this person let a car go back, and then, like, they let the car go back, and now they don't have any ride or any kind of transportation. They depend on a friend as, oh, I'll help you out. And then that person and the friend get into a big argument, and that friend's, uh, hey, you know what? You're a jerk. I'm not going to help you out anymore. Now you're still stuck walking. And I watched them do it with a house one time because of the fear of, well, selling the house is just too overwhelming. I'm anxious. I've got these panic attacks. Oh, just let the bank take it, and I'm just moving to this. And they move into this little apartment, and now it's like, you can't get a car. You can't buy a house. You're stuck. You've built yourself into a hole. And because of one bad decision led you to another bad decision, it led to another bad decision because you're making decisions based off of bad decisions and desperate times. Oh, yeah, well, you know, desperate times call for desperate. No, they don't. They call for stopping and saying, Lord, uh, what direction do I go? Because if you look at this, David just lost everything. He's homeless pretty much. And some guy's bringing him his groceries and bringing his people some groceries and and back then, a donkey was like a truck, so bringing him some trucks for his household. See, when we just give up, that's not surrender. Because that person told me, well, you know, I just surrendered to God, and I'm just going to let him have it all. And No, 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 that's not surrender when you just give up. That's foolish. Some just throw in the towel and call it surrender. It's not surrender. It's called quitting. And we want to mask it spiritually with, oh, well, I just surrendered to the Lord and gave everything back. No, you just did not do the right thing. You did not do the right thing. See, we still have to care, but often people will say, well, I don't care. Yes, you do. You do care. Uh, you may not care at that moment. You may not care tomorrow, but sometime in the future, you're going to care, and you're going to hate the decisions that you made early on. And it's those consequences that, well, we suffer. And that mistake adds to more misery. And so God helps those who cannot help themselves. God wants to help those who want help. 
who want help. And not according to our timetable, but according to his. See, David's in a spot where God's molding him and shaping him. And then we see him put out the fire of, of faith. He, he all of a sudden becomes scared and says, oh, I'll just, just take it. Take what was belonging to Mephibosheth and just, you take it, man. He put out that fire of faith, and it's easy. The enemy can do that to us sometimes, too, by causing us to be scared. See, this surrender is not surrender to God. It's the whatever attitude, whatever. It's a lack of true care. You may say, well, I don't have the faith to get through this. Well, guess what? The Bible says, then ask for it. You're willing to run to the payday loan place, or you're willing to run to a friend and ask for a loan or help or whatever, but you can't go to God who's created the world? We see these great miracles he's done in the Bible, and we, oh yeah, I believe in God, and I believe everything that this says. Do you really? When you're like, well, you know, the Lord can't provide in this moment because rent's due tomorrow, and it's the last hour. It's, it's midnight, and it hadn't shown up. Do you have faith? Do you really have faith? Well, you need to ask for faith. I remember in a point in my life as a brand new Christian, I had the same thing happening. I had this lame job and they couldn't pay me for whatever reason until about a week later. And rent was due. And they were like, you got to get out. If it's not here, you got to go. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I began to think, well, you know, there's this, there's that. I could sell my car, but then I can't get to work. I got to do this. And so I began to pray, and, it, and, and I had a friend. I said, man, I don't think, and I said, I don't think I have enough faith to get through this. And he said, you need to ask for it then, man. And if you don't, I'll ask for it for you, but you need to be able to want it. And so we began to pray, and it, it was something where I just couldn't lay down and go to sleep. And I remember I began to turn off lights in the house so I could save some money later on and, and all these different things. And early the next morning, I got up and sat there and I said, man, they're going to come. And when I get here, the locks will be changed and all my stuff will either be on the lawn or they're going to keep it for what I owe. But I'm just going to have faith and I'm going to go to work and figure out what happens. And that day I got home and I was just so afraid to go home. I drove around two extra blocks so I wouldn't even have to look at the little place that I lived in. And I just sat in my Jeep and I sat there and I was like, Lord, I don't know, man. Hopefully they didn't take my dog also. And so I drove up and there wasn't a note on the door. And so I went, I went in, I looked around, all my stuff was just like it was. I called the lady and I said, hey, I told you I'd call you today if I got the money for rent. She goes, don't worry. And I said, don't worry. She goes, yeah, it's been paid for. And I'm like, wait a minute, I, I don't know anybody that knows you or even know how to get the money to you. And I only told one guy and he, he's far away and he doesn't know your name or anything about you. Who paid it? And she was like, my daughter paid it. I'm like, your daughter? She was the one telling me she was going to throw me out. She's like, yeah, she had a change of heart. And I said, okay. I said, well, do I owe you guys money? She said, no, don't worry about it. We're going to give you this month and you don't owe us anything. I've never figured that one out still to this day, but it was all God. I sat up all night, worried, freaking out, couldn't sleep very well, didn't work very well the next day. But I remember at one point at lunchtime, it was like, I'm just going to have faith and believe that God's going to get me through this. I'm going to do my job the best I need to do it, and I'm not going to let it affect me. And it happened. And I, I know hundreds of other stories, not just to me, but to other people. It may not happen on rent day. It could happen three or four days later, but it happens. And it's God. And so you say, I, I don't have enough faith. Well, ask for it. You'll get it. Uh, still to this day, I ask for faith. This week, I had to ask for faith. Lord, this situation just happened like two days ago. And I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I went to my wife and she said, man, 
I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do this. So I just said, I know. I'll just pray. And if the Lord wants and called up my guys and said, hey, you know what? And the situation right now, I can't replace that piece of equipment. You're just going to have to do without it. Do your best. All right. I get a phone call from one of them. Hey, Mark, check this out. I fixed it. I don't know how I fixed it, but I fixed it. It'll probably get us through the end of the day. And then I called another, another guy called and said, hey, we hear you're going to Oklahoma to do some stuff. We want to provide some stuff for the church, and we want to donate some stuff to you. And I said, hey, you know what? I hate to ask this, but I had a wheel. Oh, don't worry, man. We'll take care of you. Bring the broken weed eater in, and we'll send you out with a new one. And when we get that old one fixed, we'll let you know what you owe us. It'll just be long. You've been, you've been a good guy. So I'm like, all right, cool. And then as I'm driving, somebody calls and says, hey, man, you know what? You got the money for that weed eater. Don't worry about it. And so I, I paid for it. Yeah, some, something came in, but it was just one of those amazing things where the, where the Lord works, where I'm just like, all right, Lord, hey, it's yours. Just like this morning, this is your church. You want somebody here at the first service? Bring them. If you don't, well, then that's cool. We'll sit around and eat donuts and drink coffee and hang out for a little while before the next service. And, and praise the Lord. Look at verse 5 of Second Samuel chapter 16. It says, now when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of, the, of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left hand. Also Shimei said, thus, when you cursed, come, come out. Come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. And then the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. So you have David who's just been kicked out of his city. He's left because his son has betrayed him. His best friend has betrayed him and his nation has turned in rebellion. And now you got this guy hurling not only rocks, but insults towards King David. And so we have here the insight and the attitude of, well, you and I go through these things when life gets rough. Who throws and hurls insults at you and me? Well, the enemy, Satan, the devil. And if you think about this, for David, you know, it's like, hey, Dave, if I could counsel you, let me just tell you, you have a son in the act of treason. You have a best friend that's defected to the enemy's side. And now the nation is in the act of rebellion. So David goes to this city thinking, hey, you know what? I'm just going to find some rest here. I'm going to find some solitude. I'm going to kind of gather my thoughts. I'm going to settle there. And all of a sudden, this guy shows up throwing rocks and cuss words. And that's a picture of Satan. The enemy works when, when you're down. You know, that, that's the crazy thing. That's how the enemy works. He works when, when you're down. And he works hard. He doesn't want you to have faith. He wants you to have fear. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, 
We'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.